everyone. This is the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I almost said Trick or Treat Radio because I'm staring at the Trick or Treat Radio thing on the monitor. Wow, that would have been way wrong. Uh, this is not Trick or Treat Radio. That was last night. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, congrats on your uh, recent uh, five-year anniversary there, Wolfie. Oh, thanks. It was a, a raucous show, as uh, as I'm sure you know. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, my name is uh, Patsy the Angry Nerd, and uh, I am the uh, one of the conductors of this crazy train. And uh, my co-pilot on this train, I don't know, is it a train, boat, do boats have co-pilots? I don't know, co- co-boater? Captain of Skippers. First I think mate. the skipper is the captain. It's just like a nickname. Because <laughs> the skipper from Gilligan's Island was the... Okay, Captain and Gilligan. Yeah, and the captain and Tennille. Like, I don't know. I don't know ranks. I don't know if Tennille is higher than first mate. But uh, she is the iron-born Agent Nicole. Toot-toot! That is, that is her impression of a boat. <laughs> Boats and hoes. Boats and hoes. That's true. I just want to add th- something real quick. It looks like the Ironborn have a lot less boats all of a sudden. They do. A <laughs> lot more hose. A lot more hose. Fucking douchebag. McDouchey bag. Well, some Ironborn have less boats than others. Yeah, well, yeah. there's one that at least fought and didn't like, and the other one decided, oh, uh, it's getting too intense hey, here. maybe he hung out with Cereal Pharrell. What do we say to death? Not today. Well, he got no balls and no penis, so. Well, he really literally had no balls, and he just jumped off the boat. He's like, fuck this. I am so out of here. Yeah, he ain't in, in the Ironborn family anymore. Uh, Bastard. So, Anyways. Yeah, we got off track already. That's I think that's a record. Um, so I am also joined by my co-conspirator and my tertiary co-host, uh, the mistress of Merlot, Ashes Von Nightmare. Hello, everyone. Hi. It's so much better having you sit next to me than MZ, because you're way cuter. Oh, am I prettier than Monster Zero? <laughs> you are way prettier than Monster Zero. Oh, thanks. That's a compliment. <laughs> I think I we're think. all prettier than Monster Zero. <coughs> Ugh. Ugh. You I okay? Must, I think I must be Dunkin' Donuts because I'm coffee. Oh, <laughs> for fuck's sake. Uh, also joining us, and you've already... Uh, You've heard this fine gentleman speak already, is uh, the producer extraordinaire. If uh, I am the captain of the boat of Throwdown Thursday, he is admiral of the fleet of the Grand Guignol Network. He is Johnny Wolfenstein. Do we get to wear a cool hat? Yes. You you might have to fight uh, Dynamo. No, no, I I don't want one of those. Um, I want a a better hat. Like a stovepipe hat? You can be like Lincoln? Shh. Sure, as long as it's not one of the one the dynamo. Works. <laughs> <All right. laughs> that's that's a different type of boat. Uh, so today on episode fifty-eight, we are doing our third ever uh, listener appreciation show. Uh, we got this suggestion a few weeks ago from uh, our good buddy Dane Under, and. Uh, he wanted us to do a show on the Terminator, uh, not the film, but the the robot. Hasta la vista, baby. So we covered. I'll be back. 
Yes. Uh, Get to the chopper. No, that's the wrong movie. <laughs> it's funny. They're going to do like an Expendables type film, uh, but with historical characters. And a lot of them were going to be like musicians and they were going to be battling off. And they asked uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger about it. They said, is that true? And he said, yes. And they're like, well, are you going to be in it? He said, yes. And they said, who are you going to be playing? He said, I'll be Bach. Oh, oh, you're trying was, to be funny. I was waiting for everyone you're at home to stop laughing. You're funny on a Thursday. They can't hear you. They're still laughing because that was really it good. It was not funny. Oh, my God. Sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of all of the eyes rolling right now. I can see the back of my own head. Um, so we decided we we're going to cover The Terminator, but we we're only going to cover The Terminator from the first and second <coughs> film because there's such a contrast between those two characters. Uh, I mean, technically, it's a very similar uh, robot, but uh, it's he's also very different. So if you've not seen either of these films, uh, I don't know what you're waiting for, but definitely see them, because we are going to get into a little bit of spoiler territory, because there's a major plot line in the second film that uh, we were trying to keep from uh, Agent Nicole, because she hadn't seen either of these films yet. And, you know, that's fine. If you haven't seen them, you know, whatever. I mean, they've been around for 30 and 20 years. But... I just turned 14. What do you expect? Yeah, I mean, she's she gets carded buying juice. So, I mean, Wait, what in what universe? <laughs> I don't know. In every universe. <laughs> she, she said Did she, you hop in your TARDIS? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, we're going to start off... Uh, not by talking about the Terminator, but since the Terminator has uh, some very interesting uh, time travel rules, um, we decided we'd, we'd talk about some time travel. And Ashes, you came up with a, a specific thing. What is it that you came up with? So our getting into character question for today is, if you could go back in time and stop any event from happening... What would it be and why? So let's start with you, Patsy. Yeah, because I was going to say, last time we started with Nicole and she yelled at me. So you can go last. That's okay. We're going to call people up and have them come in and and I don't know. Um, I would probably, if I could, I would stop the... uh, Chicksalub Meteor from crashing. That's what I would do. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the name of the uh, uh, the, the Chicksalub Meteor, uh, that was the one that killed the dinosaurs. Because um, I'm interested to see, like, you know. I thought you said the chicks who love media. <laughs> <laughs> I did too, actually. I don't know how to spell it because there's a lot of X's and C's and it's it's odd. I thought that was like a nickname for for Ashes and Agent Nicole. Yes, the chicks who love media. Um, Is my my accent that bad? The chicks who love media. Poppy would knock it out of the park. Uh, So, this is the uh, extinction level event uh, that happened at the end of the uh, Cretaceous period. And it took out I believe it's the Cretaceous. I might be wrong. I don't want to. I know it's not the Jurassic period, but I think it's 
it's not the Precambrian because there was an extinction level event at that time too. But uh, anywho, that's what I would stop because I am very curious to see how life would have evolved had the dinosaurs not died out and the uh, the uh, megalodons not died out. I'm very curious to see how life would have uh, evolved um, on Earth. Like, would would humans still have become a dominant species? You know, would the development have been? I say, would humans have even happened at all? Exactly. You know, would mammals have had a chance? Because I mean, there were things back then that were like the Quetzalcoatlus, which is a pterosaur the size of an airplane. Uh. It had a huge wingspan, but it weighed only 70 pounds, which is crazy. And it would kind of walk around like a... Think of like how a giraffe walks around, kind of like... But instead of going for leaves that are up at the top of the tree, they would go for stuff on the ground. It's very... Uh, I don't want to put this... Very uh, terrifying. Speaking of which, there was also the terror bird, which were... Birds are very, if you ever looked at one, like an eagle or a falcon or a hawk, like they're very terrifying predators. And this thing was about nine feet tall, uh, so it was much larger than any bird that exists now. And it just had this giant beak, and it would eat things that were, I don't know, roughly dog-sized to people-sized, and it would just eat them whole. So, And they had huge... Uh, Huge claws on their toes, kind of like how raptors are depicted in the Jurassic Park movies. Uh, it was flightless, so that was that was one. If you climbed a tree, you'd probably be all right, but it would run you down. They could run forty miles an hour, fifty miles an hour. So, uh, yeah, I would I would see because I'm curious how how things would have evolved. So that's my answer: the Chicxulub meteor. So, if I could go back and stop any event from happening, and I thought really long and hard about my answer, because there are so many things that could have just completely changed the events of humanity, like Mm -hmm. so many things that could have just completely just made the world a better place, and the only thing that I could really think of was if I could stop any event from happening... I would stop the Titanic from sinking. Why, do you ask? Because if the Titanic never sank, James Cameron never mm-hmm. would have made that fucking movie, <laughs> and I never would have had to sit eight fucking hours in the movie theater with my friends when I was in middle school watching them like blubber over this horrible movie, wondering, wow, how am I ever going to get this time back? I thought you were going to say that would prevent that fucking Celine Dion song from ever being released. <laughs> that too. I mean, Celine Dion is great and all, but that song, oh I my am God. the greatest singer in the world. So yeah, Titanic would not sink. I would be on that boat and I'd be like, yo, homie, there's an iceberg. You might want to turn the other way. And they'd be like, yeah, you know what? That's a really good idea. And they'd turn the other way and we'd completely miss it and everything would be all right. Technically, the Titanic never sank. There wasn't the Titanic. It was the sister ship, the Olympic. But we'll get into that on another day. Uh, it was the Titanic. It was the Olympic repainted to say Titanic because the Titanic uh, wasn't ready to go. 
I would prevent the unsinkable ship from sinking. And, actually, and I would and prevent... And they actually had enough light boats. That fucking movie from ever being made. <laughs> You're welcome, humanity. What about you, Agent Nicole? Uh, there's so many that I would... So many events, but... um. Probably stop the assassination of the Archduke of Austria. France France Ferdinand. Ferdinand, Yes. Because if we didn't have, if if I stopped that, we wouldn't have World War One or World War Two or the Cold War or Trump being in the fucking office. Or the banned France Ferdinand. I I love France Ferdinand. Well, you got to make a sacrifice then. Um, I'm sure they would call themselves something else. Yeah, I totally agree. Like Napoleon Bonaparte or something. That works with yeah, me. Yeah, okay. Napoleon died. But um, either that or the assassination of JFK. I figured, you know, he was doing a lot of great stuff and then just... Like had, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, that too. But just... He had so much potential. Like, what could have happened if he didn't die? True, like, what would have happened? What would... American what? politics be like today if yeah. JFK had not been assassinated. And then the, you know, assassination of um, Martha Luther King Jr. too. Like, what could have happened if those important figures... The assassination of Lincoln. Yeah, that too as what, well. What would have happened? Well, I, I would say the assassination of Kennedy is actually what propelled us to go to the moon. Mm. Because that was one of the things he wanted to do. We choose to do it not because it is easy, but because it is hard. I thought it was because of that TV show where that guy threatened to like slap his wife to the moon. One of these days, Alice. The honeymoon. Bang, course. zoom, right to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, 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 thought, I thought that's But why. I figured, you know, the Archduke of Austria would be one just so that we didn't have World War One or World War II. He and wasn't all, an astronaut. He was all the shit that happened. So. Because anything life. to prevent Trump being in office would be nice. I know. I know. Hey, maybe maybe if the Titanic didn't sink yeah, that movie was never made, Trump <laughs> wouldn't be in office. I don't know how that ties together, but I feel like it does somehow. So on that note... People out there listening, our friends, our family, hit us up on the Facebook page. Let us know if you could go back in time and change any event in the course of history. What would you do and why? Let us know. So, while I stall for a moment for uh, uh, Wolfie to pull something up for me. But to piggyback on what you said, you know, send us an email, throw it out Thursday podcast at gmail.com. Spread the love. Let, if we, if you we think just want to, yeah, job. like we just want to hear from you. We yep. just want to, we want to hear your voices because we get sick of listening to our own. I don't. Uh, unless you're passing. That's how I He's get the exception cord to the rule. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, this is, this is how, you know, like this whole episode is a listener appreciation we're doing this specifically for dane who you know said you know he sent me a a, a message over facebook he's like hey have you guys done the terminator i would love to hear you guys do a terminator show so we're like fuck yeah let's do the terminator but uh speaking of the terminator now you just brought up james cameron and uh, his name is james james cameron wolfie if you if you uh, would like to Oh, music! Okay. <laughs> His name is James, James Cameron, the bravest pioneer. No budget too steep, no seat too deep. Who's that? It's him, James Cameron. Systems are normal. You guys hearing the song okay up there? James Cameron, explorer 
Yes, James, we'd hear the song. Descending to 1,000 feet. I don't see the bar yet. Looks like it must have sunk pretty low. With a dying thirst to be the first. Could it be? Yeah, that's him, James Cameron. And that was, of course, from the uh, Raising the Bar episode of uh, South Park, where uh, James Cameron braves the depths to literally raise the bar and in the process has to fight Randy Newman. But uh, speaking of James Cameron, you you were talking about Titanic. James Cameron also uh, is the reason why we have the Terminator. And uh, I know some folks will point to Harlan Ellison. I have no mouth, yet I must scream. The uh, basis of, that many people say was the basis of the... uh, the Terminator, uh, also the Outer Limits episode written by him, I believe it's called The Soldier, uh, but I think it's more I Have No Mouth But I'm a Scream, which is a great science fiction story. If you haven't read it, do yourself a favor, and you'll see the similarities between that and The Terminator, which is why at the end of the original Terminator, there is uh, you know, a, a kind of like a shout-out to uh, Harlan Ellison over the uh, mountains in the background. Um, but I digress. James Cameron uh, is the one who came up with the Terminator, and he's the whole reason why we have this. So, well, yes, he gave us Titanic. He also gave us Terminator, and then Terminator Two, and which, of course, has spawned this huge, huge, uh, like expanded universe. It's a franchise. Well. I'm not just talking about the movies. I'm talking like the expanded universe where, you know, I've had comic books where it's Alien versus Predator versus Terminator where they're switching, they're like combining Terminators and Alien. Like, it's crazy shit. So there's so much that goes into it. And we're going to touch on a tiny fraction of it in the show today because uh, we're going to try to concentrate on the movies. And, I mean, we will talk about some of the uh, ancillary stuff, but... Uh, I'm dying to find out <coughs> Agent Nicole's thoughts because she just watched uh, Terminator uh, this past Sunday, and then she watched Terminator 2 the next day. So I'm I'm very interested to hear her thoughts on the character and you know his interactions and how he evolved from the first to the second film. So I think with that being said, uh, wait a minute. You didn't talk about your... Yes, you did talk about going back in time. Franz yeah. Ferdinand. Okay, I thought I was skipping you, and I was like starting to feel bad. Uh, but yeah, okay, with that being said, let's go ahead and go to our first break, and when we come back, let's talk Terminator. Trick or Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band, we destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick or Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and Trick or Treat Radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you took a shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This uh, podcast is now banned in Germany. It's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Lohan. If I had genitals, I would definitely 
bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey short. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The okay. box, right? The box and the monkey. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and trickortreatradio.com. Arrivederci, douchebags. And we have returned. You might even say we are back. So, The Terminator is a film that came out in 1984. It was uh, written and directed by James Cameron. And he is uh, uh, an. How do I want to describe it? He's an unstoppable murder robot from the future. One of many. has lots and lots and lots of them. But uh, this one in particular uh, is the one we're going to talk about. Cyberdyne Systems Model 101, also known as the T-800 model. So, Agent Nicole, you just saw this movie for the first time uh, very, very recently. Um, So I'm curious... uh, to get your input on this character first, because um, you had the most recent exposure to it. I mean, I've been watching this movie for many, many years. So, uh, what did what did you think about the character? Like, what he was and how he represented, uh, um, like the future. Um, honestly. I probably will get a lot of flack for it, but I mean, it wasn't a bad movie. Um, the character just seemed very, I wouldn't say predictable, but obviously you knew what he was there for. He was there to kill Sarah Connor to stop, you know, stop what was happening between them. And was it a AD a whatever it was 2029. Yeah. 2029. That's where Reese came from. Yes. Yeah. I know that. Um, you know, stop her from having John Connor, which you be talk about, which we'll be talking about in like the later on. But um, you know, it's trying to stop the events from happening, and um, I don't know. I've I've seen Arnold Schwarzenegger and other stuff, and he's you know like this big macho guy. You know, the aesthetics, like you know, he's a badass. He's gonna be a badass in the film. There's no. No, um, no, no mystery to who. Yeah, he is. basically, there's. It just doesn't seem like there's no mystery. He's there for a mission. He's an unstoppable creature. He's gonna. He has one mission to do it, and he has to get it done. And obviously, he doesn't because Sarah Connor ends up living. Spoiler alert! But um, yeah, that's. Well, I mean, there's four sequels, so yeah. I mean, I mean, it. <coughs> overall, it's a good movie. It's just it's not my cup of tea. I understand the hype and why a lot of people really like it. Well, and, and here's the thing where it, it 
you know, you're right about a lot of the characters that Arnold plays. I mean, you look at him. It's playing. just very stereotypical. You know, it just seems like they use his aesthetics to kind of build around a character around his aesthetics. Well, it's funny because originally it wasn't supposed to be that way. I know you hadn't mentioned this the other night um, about it. One of the original uh, original casting ideas they had was O.J. Simpson. And Cameron said that he didn't think it would be uh, it would be believable for OJ to be this uh, re- cold, remorseless murder machine. I'm sure he was kicking himself to like yeah. ten years later. So you know, and you know, it, this is kind of ties into. I mean, OJ just got released from prison too. So, yeah. Or he's he's going to be released uh, in a couple of months. He just got paroled, but it's going to take some time for him to actually get out. But um, the idea was for the Terminator to be this infiltration unit, and that's how uh, Kyle Reese describes him. Kyle Reese is a human who was sent back in time to protect Sarah Connor from the Terminator. Now, the Terminator's <laughs> mission is to go back in time from the year 2029 to kill uh, the mother of the leader of the Resistance, John Connor. So if they go back in time before any of these events happen, kill Sarah Connor, and then... You know, as we see in the the third movie, which you didn't see, you know, they couldn't find John Connor. So what they did was they went around and uh, killed a lot of his his lieutenants and stuff, like people that would become important. Like if they couldn't get to him, they were getting other people. Um, But the biggest thing, like they wanted him to be an everyman. So originally it was going to be Lance Henriksen and... uh, Arnold was going to play Kyle Reese, you know, because you would need this big, strong, powerful person in order to battle a Terminator. Because a Terminator, being a robot and all, is this, again, unstoppable, unrelenting, unfeeling, unthinking, uh, you know, single-minded, driven entity. Uh, like, there's a, there's a scene where, you know, you finally realize that, you know, uh, you know, Reese is there to protect her against this machine and he's describing it to her he's like it can't be reasoned with it can't be bargained with it doesn't feel anger or pity or fear and it will not stop until you are dead and you see this later on in the film because even though it's severely damaged you know it's basically blown in half it is still moving towards her it's crawling along with one arm trying to reach her like it is single-minded in its its programming because that's like anything else, it is it, any other type of machinery, like you program it to do something, and that's what it's going to do. And they wanted an everyman because this is an infiltration unit. Like you said, the earlier models, the T-600s had rubber skin, and they were very easy to spot, you know, because, you know, just like a bad special effect in a movie, you can tell if someone, you know, like in this movie, when uh, Arnold is assessing the damage to his body, and you can tell very clearly that the face that they are showing is not actually Arnold Schwarzenegger, but a, uh, for the time, very good prosthetic. I was going to say, A-plus for practical effects in 1984. Yeah, like it's very good, but you can tell looking at it that this is not Arnold Schwarzenegger, so it's a nice parallel to how Reese describes the, the, the machine. Um, and it's funny because the, the, <laughs> the, the aesthetic that they show, like, it's very obviously a puppet, an animatronic puppet that's, you know, sculpted to look like Arnold. And they do a pretty good job. 
but the eye underneath, you know, like opening and closing and all the machinery around it, like that's more impressive. So it's almost like, hey, this is what a T600 would have looked like. Now, the T800 models, which uh, Arnold is one, like I said, they, they alternate between calling it Model 101 and a T800. Uh, it actually has living organic tissue grown for it, so it's a more, you know, it, it ages, it has bad breath, you know, it it looks more human, and it's, again, an infiltration unit. So when they were thinking about this original design, it was going to be Lance Henriksen, because Lance Henriksen is, you know, while he does have a very distinctive look to him, he's not this hulking brute that you would see uh you know, when you think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And to kind of piggyback off the point that you were saying, Agent Nicole, where you think it's like a stereotypical thing of Arnold, where it deviates from every other one of his other roles, it is one of only two times he has ever played a villain. The only other time he played a villain, of course, was the monstrosity uh, Batman and Robin. When he was <laughs> Mr. Freeze. <laughs> Yeah. Think about it. Any other time he's in a movie, he is always the ass-kicking hero. He is never the bad guy. Especially in Kindergarten Cop. Kindergarten oh Cop. God, he is the one. best. Uh, twins. Oh, my God. Twins. Commando. Red Heat. Like, all these movies, he is always the hero. He is always the good guy. He is never <laughs> a bad guy ever. And, you know, Terminator was the exception to that rule until a god-awful bat-nipple movie. So that was where things kind of deviated. Schwarzenegger took a look at the script and said, "No, I have to be this 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 uh this machine. Like this has to be what I do." And we see, you know, the Terminator. Like if you had any any doubts about you know what the Terminator does and what it was designed to do, those doubts are immediately dashed the first time he encounters people. There's a, a group of three punks, one of them led, uh, led by the late Bill Paxton. Uh, and Arnold comes walking up, you know, dick flopping in the wind. You know, they CGI'd that out for the Terminator Genesis film. But uh, just comes walking up, totally naked. And they're like, nice night for a walk. And he's just repeating what they say. He's like, nice night for a walk. And they're like, you know, giving him shit, like thinking this is just like some crazy guy, like these three punks. And he's like, your clothes, give them to me. And they're like, fuck you, man. They all pull knives and he just like takes Bill Paxton and throws him 15 feet and then like punches another guy in the chest and rips his heart out. And the third guy's just like, okay, here's my clothes. Although I don't think that guy's the same size as Arnold. But... That's when you start to realize that this guy is not someone to be to be trifled with. But you don't really see that who he is or what he is till later on in the film. Um, and they start showing you point of view shots from the Terminator. Like you can see, he's got this like red field of vision and like a, a targeting reticle going, and all this information showing up on his screen, and. You see this a little more in the second film when he's... Um, I think part of it is 
seeing uh, you know the advances in special effects, but also part of it is more like you already know that Arnold is a Terminator. Like in the original, like you weren't supposed to know if Reese was a good guy or if Arnold was a bad guy, and that was kind of the twist because again, Arnold always played a good guy; he was always the hero. So you see him in the beginning doing the same routine like the first you know you see all these mission parameters popping up on his his point of view shots and the first thing he's supposed to do is get close to blend in and he's looking at people and like you know digitally sizing them up and it's like okay this guy wrong size that guy not a match this lady would be a match but it's inappropriate you know so he's got all these detailed files about what he's supposed to wear and the main thing is you see the Terminator kicking a lot of ass and being just unstoppable. And I know I've used that word a lot, but I mean that's really. I mean I don't know what else, what other word to describe him. Uh, unrelenting is a good one. But I think some of the greatest scenes are the scenes that uh, are from the Terminator point of view, like when he's uh, to show how good the uh, the the Terminator effects are. You know, as far as the growing the skin for them, like he's he's damaged. Like he's already lost an eye. One of his arms is kind of wonky. He had to like do some uh, surgery to his arm, and the skin is rotting. Like he's got flies crawling on him, and for whatever reason, he's renting a, a room. I don't like they kind of gloss over how he rents a room, but he's renting a room in this like rundown apartment building. And the landlord's going by, and he's knocking on the door. He's like, hey, buddy, you got a dead cat in there? And you see this list of responses programmed into him. And he scrolls through them to see what's you know most appropriate. It's like, yes, no, okay, how are you? And then he chooses one and turns and looks at the guy and goes, fuck you, asshole. <laughs> like, it's so great. Because I think a lot of us can relate to that because when someone says something to us that's stupid or we just don't want to talk to them. We mentally scan through a lot of different responses before we decide on fuck you, asshole. Um, you see this a lot more in the second film. But the whole point of The Terminator is that um, that you, you see Kyle Reese come back. This is an example of a temporal causality loop. A temporal causality loop in the uh, uh, structure of, of time travel paradoxes is going back in time to change something but causing the very event that you went back in time to change. So in this case, the Terminator goes back in time to kill Sarah Connor. Now John Connor has already lived through all of this, and he knows what's going to happen. So he sends back a specific soldier, Kyle Reese. And when he sends Reese back to protect his mother against the Terminator, he knows Reese is successful because he's born. So the thing that's crazy, and you know they discuss it at the end of the film, is sending Reese back in time. Reese is his father. So if he doesn't, like, he has to make the choice. He's like, I know that if I send Reese back in time, he's going to be killed by this Terminator. You know, but he's going to be protecting my mother. But he's also my dad. 
So it's very odd. So he sends he sends Reese. Reese ends up uh, impregnating his mother, dying to save her, and they make these homemade pipe bombs that that blow the Terminator in half. And then you see the unrelentingness uh, of the Terminator, where he's just crawling across the floor. She's got a busted up leg at this point because she was injured in the explosion. Reese is dead, and he slowly the Terminator slowly drags itself across the floor, and she can't. If she's not injured, she can just get up and run away. Like she's there's no problem. So she slowly gets away from him. She crawls under a hydraulic press. And she gets a little cocky though, because it's very close. She's like, You're terminated, fucker, and then hits the button, but the Terminator's still very within grasping reach of her face and neck. So she probably should have just crushed him and then said the quippy one liner. But that's neither here nor there. So the other part of this temporal causality loop is that they like, all right, we defeated the Terminator. Hooray, Judgment Day won't happen now. Awesome. This is great. But in a deleted scene that you don't get to see, the building that they're in is actually owned by Cyberdyne. And they show her getting taken out into an ambulance. They show Reese getting taken out on a stretcher in a body bag. And a couple of, like... A couple of guys, they don't really ever identify who they are, but they're like, oh, you got to see this, you got to see this. And they're like taking the Terminator body and they're like, you know, hiding it away. They're like taking it and like putting it in storage. So like they're like, we have to, like, I don't know what the hell this is, but, you know, they're trying to like reverse engineer it. And that's what you see in the second film where the whole story that revolves around Miles Dyson, they see the arm and the chip. The, the neural net processor is what it's called from the original Terminator. So not only does... When John Connor sends his father back in time to protect him, they also kickstart Judgment Day because without that Terminator, Cyberdyne doesn't develop Skynet, which in turn doesn't create the Terminator. So it's... It's one of those things like chicken or egg type uh, uh, situations. Ashes, I know you have a lot of stuff. Uh, why don't you uh, tell us some of the stuff that you've you've got? Well, I have a lot of stuff because I'm not super familiar with the character. I've only seen the first two films, and I haven't really watched the movies with a critical eye. So that's what my notes are. So you pretty much hit all of what my notes say. So thank you. Well, no, there's. I'm looking at stuff right now that, like this whole thing about the the CPU. Why don't you tell us about the CPU and the? Well, I don't even know what the CPU is, but you already told processing unit. Yeah, but you already mentioned the whole you know fuck you asshole thing that's mentioned right there, and right. But what this whole thing here about how in the second film. They reset the the processor so he can become more human. And how does he become more human? Why don't you tell us about that? Okay, so in the second movie, uh, he says that Skynet presets the switch to read only when Terminators are sent out alone to prevent them from thinking too much, quote-unquote. 
Sarah Connor and John activate his learning ability after which he becomes more curious and begins trying to understand and imitate human behavior. This leads to his use of the catchphrase hasta la vista, baby. Uh, he ultimately, quote, learns the value of human life, end quote, as mused by Sarah in the closing narration. The Terminator apologized, something he had never done previously when John was frantically trying to convince him not to be sacrificed. His last words to John John, where I know now why you cry, but it is something I can never do. So I love the second movie as opposed to the first one. Um, I actually saw them in that order. I saw the second one before I saw the first one. The first, second movie came out in 91. I think I saw it back in like 90. I think it may have been like 93 or 94. It was on TV. My dad was watching it and I was, let's see if it was 93 or 94. I was eight or nine years old (laughs) at the time. So I probably shouldn't have been watching it, but it was anyways. My dad was just kind of like, eh, let her watch it. I mean, it was on TV, so it was edited. So it wasn't that bad. Um, And I thought it was really interesting. I liked the story. I thought Sarah Connor, like, oh my God, Linda Hamilton is such a badass in that movie. Yes. And I thought the effects were really good. Uh, Robert Patrick as the T-1000. Excellent. Um, but yeah, I, I so seeing the second one before the first one, I kind of thought that the Terminator was supposed to be a good guy. You know, here he is trying to protect John Connor and protect Sarah Connor from this T-1000 sent to destroy all of them, you know, uh, and, and trying to provoke this this apocalypse this uprising um so i never knew that terminator was supposed to be a bad guy until i saw the first one so it kind of put you know after and after seeing the first one kind of put a little bit into perspective the second one made a little bit more sense you know them reprogramming him and sending him back her reaction right her reaction the whole john you know like because Watching the second one first, you know, clearly this character knows who he is, but doesn't realize that he's, or at least doesn't realize right away that he's been reprogrammed and he's been sent back on a completely different mission. And his mission is to not destroy her this time, but to protect her. And so after seeing the first one that whole bit makes makes sense but i don't know i just i think the storyline of the second one is a lot more uh, not only is the movie itself longer but the story is a lot more played out it's a lot more uh involved and realized and i think that the character of the terminator is a lot more realized than in the first movie and the first movie he's just kind of like this uh killing machine yeah he does it's pretty much what it is like he doesn't talk right uh or if he does talk it's you know the scrolling through the fuck you asshole scene or he's um voices yeah like the phone call like she thinks she's on the phone with i think it's her Her mother mother. and she's not on the phone with her mother she's actually on the phone with the terminator and the the house is you know just destroyed the uh the the um you know, there's like smoking holes from recent gunshots, and you know, you don't really see the mother dead, but it's heavily implied. Right. You and don't, she's you like, don't I love you, mom. It. And she's like, I love you too, sweetheart. But it's the Terminator saying that, which is a great scene. Um, it reminds me, there's um, 
there's a scene where uh, he's being like the police are originally alerted to this because the Terminator is going through the phone book finding addresses for everyone named Sarah Connor. Like you see Kyle Reese do the same thing, but they're going through and it's like, okay, Sarah Connor, like in he kills the first one and he kills the second one and he's going after the third one, which is the the main uh, uh, protagonist. And all they knew is relative idea of where she lived. Like there weren't a lot of files on who Sarah Connor was or what she looked like. They just had a relative idea of where she lived. So they, when they sent the Terminator back, that's where they sent her to L.A. I mean, I find it hard to believe that there's only three Sarah Connors in all of Los Angeles, but you know, be that as it may. But you don't really get to see much of the Terminator's motivation in this. It's like, okay, I know I'm supposed to kill Sarah Connor, so I'm just going to kill all the Sarah Connors, cover my bases, because that's the logical thinking of a machine. In the second film, they're really trying to humanize Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. He doesn't really have a lot of lines in this one either. Uh, I think he made something like, it was, it, he made some ridiculous amount of money, like per line, for what he was paid in this. But there's uh, the humanization of the Terminator, because you think about it in the first film, it's like this super high tech thing from the future, and it's more advanced than anything anyone has ever seen. And in the second film, you know, you've got Arnold again, this time playing the hero, and again, he's this super advanced thing from the future. But at this point, he's obsolete. Like the T-800 model, no longer being used. Now you've got the T-1000. It can run faster. It can, you know, shapeshift. It can, you know, manipulate its body and turn into stabbing weapons or, like, blunt tools, as you see when it opens up the uh, the elevator trying to get them. Uh, it doesn't have the same weaknesses. Like, you can't stab it. You can't shoot it and, you know, disable it. You know, even an explosion to it won't completely incapacitated as we see in the the liquid nitrogen scene um you know even from being exploded as opposed to the the t800 model uh that is just this you know series of interconnected joints and it's almost like they are completely (coughs) making it human like okay human has as much a chance against a single terminator as this terminator has against this super advanced model and when they're you know there's a deleted scene that if you if you just got the regular DVD or Blu-ray, but one of the nice things that James Cameron does is he includes, instead of making it a bonus feature, he includes all his deleted scenes. There's a scene where John is trying to teach Arnold to smile. And, you know, there were a lot of questions that were raised from this film, like, why do all the Terminators look like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, if they're supposed to be infiltration units, why would they all look the same? Like, as soon as you saw one, you'd be like, okay, that's a Terminator. I know because I just, like, killed three of those yesterday. And we find out in some deleted scenes of the third film, uh, it's actually modeled after a soldier named William Candy. And they show, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he's running on a treadmill, he's lifting weights and stuff. But he's got this ridiculous southern accent. It's like, hi, my name's William Candy, Sergeant in the Army. Like, and, you know, all the, the higher up guys, because they're working for Skynet, they're, they have all these different uh, types of Terminators, like some older ones that kind of look like early models of the Ed 209 from Robocop. Um, 
and they look very similar to some of the uh like we see these flash forward scenes uh in the first and second films where you know the resistance fighters that uh, John Connor leads are battling these other like flying things and these tank things and we see kind of like their progenitors like the original versions of these uh designs that uh you know uh Cyberdyne is making um so we kind of see how they where they came from and how they uh how they originated but you see uh these these guys standing around watching this this video you know it's almost like a not a propaganda video but almost like a like a video an investor would make like trying to get funding for something and they show him like running around you know with this ridiculous accent and they're like we got to do something about the voice cuz if we're going to you know be making these terminators with you know that look like this guy that's fine but they can't have the same voice and there's like this skinny guy who's like we can fix it but he says it in Arnold's voice so it's like that's a, a nice little it's like a nice little nod to it. I don't know if it's overly uh overly necessary, but I don't know, I thought it was I thought it was interesting. I mean, we see again like some of the other some of the other uh questions that were raised where, you know, you know, is this the same terminator that came back? No, it's not. Like this is a different terminator. Then in Terminator uh, 4, the one with Nick Stahl, it's revealed that there's another Terminator that was sent... No, this is still Terminator 3. Uh, The Terminator that gets sent back in that one was a Terminator that was sent to kill John Connor because they knew of his affection for that specific series of Terminators. And Connor let his guard down because he sees this thing that, you know, he remembers from his childhood and it kills him. And his wife, Catherine Brewster, played by Claire Danes in the film, sends a Terminator back. So in the first one, the Terminator has to do everything John Connor says, even if it goes against his primary programming. Like, he wants to go save his mother. And the Terminator's like, well, no, because the T-1000 will definitely try to reacquire you there. And he's like, well, I want to go to back to my house and, and get some stuff. He's like, negative. The, ter- the T-1000 would definitely try to reacquire you there. He's like, are you sure? He's like, I would. <laughs> so, like, there's a little bit of comedy to it. But when he says, I'm going to get my mother, and he goes, and I order you to come with me. And the Terminator has to do it because he's programmed to do whatever John Connor says. And there's a great scene with uh, Linda, Linda Hamilton. I almost had Linda Carter. Linda Hamilton and uh, Edward Furlong when they're resetting the chip and Linda Hamilton wants to just smash it. She goes, you don't understand how difficult it is to try and kill one of these goddamn things. You know, which the scene doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's like if it wanted you dead, you would have been dead already. And what about the fucking other one that's trying to kill you? You've already seen this. And, you know, John makes a great point. And this this is another extended scene where he's like, listen, if I'm supposed to be this great military leader, maybe you should start letting me make some decisions. Although it's weird. The timeline is really weird because the movie takes place in 1991 and John was born in 1985. So that would make him six. But he's clearly like 12 or 13 in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like he should be six. But he's not. He has a dirt bike. Yeah. Um. And then you see more of this in the uh, the fourth film. Doesn't no, really. No, I thought Terminator Two, right? 
takes place. It, it, I know it, it was filmed like came out in ninety one, but it look, was Phil. It was. It takes place in ninety five. If you look at the, then he's no more. And then he's no older than nine. Then he's ten. He was born in eighty five. It's 95. He's not he's 10. 10. He's not 10 in this Maybe movie. Maybe he's a very mature 10-year-old. If you look at the um, if the screen that the T-1000 looks at when he gets into the, the police car for the first time, he looks up John Connor, uh, the age is all wrong. I forget exactly what it says. It but says the, 10 years old. Yeah, he's not, he's not fucking 10 years old. He's not. They had to reshoot most of his uh, dialogue because his voice changed mid-filming. So they had to go back and redub everything. But the thing with uh, the Terminator, like the fourth film, the one with Christian Bale, that takes place after the war. So it's almost like a direct sequel to three. Uh, so you kind of ignore that. The fifth one, Terminator Genesis, where you see um, a little more of the Terminator and its uh, turning of... Uh, it's humanization. Um, there is uh, apparently somebody sends a Terminator back to when Sarah Connor is like nine because a, a T-1000 goes back and kills her parents and is trying to kill her. But the T-800 shows up and stops it. And this T-800 raises her as if it's her parent. Which is really weird. You don't find out who sent it back. You don't find out why. He's like, oh, all those files have been deleted. Which is like, oh, that's convenient. And like Jai Courtney even says, that's convenient because it kind of fucking is. But the uh, the progression, like it, there's like little nods to the old film. Like he smiles at one point and it's a much better smile than he has in Terminator 2. But, you know, they actually allowed the Terminator to age. Like, they recreate that scene from the first film, you know, when he's walking up on the street punks. But the older version, she calls it Pops, is there waiting for him, and he fights the uh, older Terminator, the, the 1984 Terminator. But the best part about this is something that they didn't do in the first two films. Schwarzenegger never reacts. Like, if you watch the first movie... <laughs> When he's shooting a gun and he's firing a weapon, he blinks every time like a human would do, you know, because it's just a natural reaction. You know, his facial expression changes during certain scenes. That never happens in this fifth film. Like, no matter what, he's always just stoic Arnold. Like, the face, the facial expression doesn't change even when he's, like, getting hit, getting thrown, getting shot. It doesn't matter. He's always the same, same facial expression, which I thought was... Uh, much, much better than any of the original, uh, uh, any of the original incarnations of the T one T eight hundred. Um, so you really get to see the evolution of the Terminator as it goes along. Um, <sighs> Terminator three is terrible. Terminator four is not really part of the timeline. Like it takes place just after the war starts. Because it turns out that no matter what they do, Skynet's always going to happen. Like, Judgment Day's always going to happen. Like, at the end of Terminator 2, when they 
take the original, the 1984 Terminator parts, and they throw it in the, the molten steel, and then Arnold gets lowered into the molten steel, and it's like, okay, no more Terminator parts, everything's gone. It's like, nope. Still happens anyways. The deleted ending of Terminator 2 is John becomes a senator and, like, fights against, you know, like, artificial intelligence and all this stuff, and it's it's fucking dumb. I don't think it tested well for audiences. Um... Because it just it's dumb. The the ending they stuck with I think works well because it's you know leaves open the possibility of sequels which weren't that great. But the Terminator is just uh it's a it's a great character because it doesn't necessarily have to be Arnold. I mean I know it always is. But when they have other versions of it, like it's always a different actor. Like in the Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, it was Kristana Loken. In the fourth one, it was Sam Worthington. And in the fifth one, it's Arnold again, but it's also a couple other actors. Um, In case you want to see that one, I'm really not going to ruin it for you because there's some weird, crazy shit that happens in that film that definitely sets it up for another sequel, but it's... Probably the most convoluted of all the films, and it doesn't really, it doesn't do much to advance the the main plot. Whereas, when you have Terminator Two, you, you get so much more backstory. You, you find out what the Terminators are, how close they are to you know exterminating humanity. Um, it's a great character, and I couldn't see it being played by anybody other than Arnold. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to add? No. Well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna do a couple of little uh, trivia bits here. Um, obviously, in the first film, Lance Henriksen was supposed to be the Terminator. He did get a uh, a part as one of the cops. Uh, he and Bill Paxton are the only two people to have been killed by an alien, a predator, and a Terminator. Uh, Paxton, obviously, and Lance Henriksen were killed in Predator uh, Aliens. He was killed in Predator 2, Bill Paxton was, and Henriksen was killed in Aliens versus Predator. Um, and then there's the John Connor curse. Have either Did you either of you guys come across that in your research? No, I have no idea what that is. The John Connor curse is, if you look at it, no one has played John Connor in more than one movie. Okay. Because it's like the character is cursed. Like, Eddie Furlong was... Uh, was John Connor. How is he doing these days? How is he doing shortly after that? Well, I mean, shortly after, he's, he had a pretty good... Uh, he did American History X. Mm-hmm. That was really good, and he was really good in it. Um, uh, uh, he got fat and was in a really <laughs> horrible uh, horror movie. I think that's the most recent thing he what was that, done. What and was, that was you a guys covered that years ago. You guys covered that on uh, on Trick or Treat Radio. That brain scan. Brain scan. Yes, that was on uh, cable all the time. We had a hot box and we just play over and over and over. I probably saw the movie forty times, which made me really sad because Edward Furlong at one point he was he was kind of foxy. Like, right, but he, what, I know if yeah. I watched that as a kid, I would have been like, ah, drugs, crush. alcohol. Like his he has he's in rehab or was in rehab. So like he, his yeah. life, he had went like down. the child actor curse kind of thing. Yeah, Nick Stahl, who was an adult when he 
played John Connor. Who? Nick Stahl. He was in Terminator 3. I don't know what... The, oh, you know what else he was in? Uh, the Man Without a Face with Mel Gibson. And I don't... I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Wolfie. He was in an awesome HBO show called Carnival. Oh, yeah. That's a good show. I didn't. I haven't seen it. But he, afterwards, he hit the bottle pretty hard. Drugs. It was a lot of hookers. Uh, was seen hanging out in Skid Row quite a bit. Uh third one uh the the next one was uh christian bale and that was uh when he had his famous uh like freak out about the lights and the set and when he was like threatening the guy trying to fight him that was the set of terminator 4 salvation when did that movie come out uh, a few years ago after all the batman movies well, 2009 then- yeah, and then he ended up getting nominated for an Oscar after, so I think the curse right. kind of died after that. Well, I'm just saying, like, everybody who has played that has had something bad happen to them publicly. Like, there was a lot of a lot of issues with, you know, him and uh, his... his uh, his temper, like, like people didn't really know about him, and then they're like, "Wow, Christian Bale's such an asshole!" You know, like they found that out after. Yes, he's a tremendous actor, but oh, Nick Stahl played in Sin City: The Yellow Bastard. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I knew there was one more, but like, I was like, he you sounds- don't, you can't really tell it's him because he's got all the prosthetics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cameron only did the first two films. After that, uh, although I think he did five. Or he no, he's trying to retake the franchise back, and I I don't know if that's isn't a he too busy trying to make seventeen Avatar? avatars? Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if he wants to do that. Yeah, James Cameron wants to make new Terminator trilogy according to the Internet Movie Database, and that's fine. I'm I'm fine with that. Wolfie, I know you've you've seen the Terminator. Uh, do you have any thoughts on it? I'd like to get your thoughts. Uh, I mean, the first two are great. <laughs> I don't know what else I can say. I didn't see the most recent one. I saw it in the theater. Ge- uh, Genesis, was that it? Yeah. Yeah, did not see that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, the first two are great. Classics. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, such a highly anticipated sequel. I remember I was in like fifth or sixth grade when it was coming out. I was like 10. And like it was, there was like this ridiculous amount of advertising for it. Like it was every goddamn where. And then we used to have our uh, our arguments: who would win in a fight, Terminator or Suburban Commando? Like that was that was kind of dumb. But uh, I think that's gonna pretty much wrap up. I was kind of hoping for some feedback for some people because I know there's a lot of folks in our in our uh, circles who are big Terminator fans, and I was kind of hoping that some other folks would weigh in on their thoughts on the Terminator. Um, you know, Dane, I know uh, if you're listening, I hope we did uh, the character justice for you. Um, if not, you know, I apologize. That was mostly my fault because... I pretty much monopolized the conversation on this. It's all good. I actually like the second movie over the first one. That's a common sentiment. It's one of those very few films where the second, the sequel is better than the first one. Um, Star Wars comes to mind. That's another one that the sequel is better than the first one. Um, But yeah, it it was such such an important movie and it had so many questions. But like we were talking about with... um, you know Romero last week 
sometimes not knowing the answers, like you can kind of fill in the blanks on your own. Like I didn't know that I didn't need to know that the Terminator was modeled after some guy with a goofy southern accent. Like who cares? You know what I mean? You know. But that's neither here nor there. So I think what we'll do we'll uh we'll take another break. We'll come back. We'll talk about our new battle. We'll do our uh our science and wine files and then we'll uh we'll uh bid you a new bid you adieu and give you our battle. Maybe the other way around. Break so, uh, Yeah, let's go to break. Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series, and you are listening to Throwdown Thursday on the Grand Guineal Network. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us. So... We're gonna uh, we're gonna do our normal closing routine. We're gonna uh, give you some some uh, some wine, some science, and some uh, Agent Nicole files. But uh, first, uh, ladies, one, two, three. It's a motherfucking throwdown. Oh yeah, that's right. It is the cybernetic smackdown this week. Uh, in the '90s, there were uh, because of Alien, Alien uh, Predator Two showing the Xenomorph skull inside the Predator ship. The series of uh, Alien versus Predator, uh, Dark Horse Comics and Image Comics, I believe, uh, sprang to life and spawned a Super Nintendo game. Not to be outdone, the other uh, classic franchises that had multiple sequels by the time the '90s rolled around. Of the early 90s, uh, Terminator and Robocop crossed paths. Now, in the uh, there was a series of comics, there was a uh, also a another uh, video game where you would play as Robocop against the Terminators. And in the comic book, it was because of Robocop that Skynet was born. And the Terminators attempted to take over and blow up everything. And it was very... Uh, it was very interesting. It was a new take on the Terminator mythology. So this week, 
we are going to pit a Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, his T-800 model against Alex Murphy's RoboCop. Now, this has been done before. I recently watched a Screw Attack video about these guys. Uh, I disagreed with how it turned out. So we are going to go with the Terminator 2 version of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who has learned and uh, doesn't have the read-only, has the uh, learning section of his neural net processor intact against Alex Murphy's RoboCop. So let us know your thoughts. Give us uh, some... some, uh, poll voting we'll actually remember to put the poll up on the facebook page this week it's nobody's birthday so uh we're good we're good we don't have to it's nobody's birthday this thursday so we'll actually remember um but that being said i think we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna get into a science fact and a wine fact and an agent nicole file so Wolfie, if you could play my music. From the blackness of space, timeless from the void, you terrified to learn of Patsy's science facts. (laughs) So today's science fact comes from a recent article on uh, CNN's website where scientists are now theorizing that the moon holds massive quantities of water. Cheese. Well, no, it's made of cheese, but there's water inside. Ha. Uh, the reason that they're coming to this conclusion is that they have uh, they have been analyzing some volcanic glass that uh, resulted in you know some of the many many uh, impacts that you see all over the moon. You know, that's what gives it its face. Where you see the man in the moon, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of craters all over the moon. It's basically been acting as a shield for the Earth for billions of years. And they've, they're have they theorizing that the inside uh, uh, of the moon, because based on the impact, when, a, when a, something large enough hits, uh, it's going to disturb the almost down to the core, but deep past the... Uh, the, uh, the uh, what the hell's over there? The crust, so to speak, the surface. Uh, so when you see some of these larger, uh, larger craters like Mare Crisium, uh, Sea of Tranquility, stuff like that, um, that's where some of these major impacts have happened, and some of the samples taken from those areas are showing that they might possibly have water. Now, what does that mean? Well, one of the biggest uh, hurdles to colonizing either the Moon or Mars is how to get water there because if you're sending people you know to another planet to colonize i mean water you can go three days without water that's about it uh but water is if you've ever tried carrying a gallon of it you know that water can be heavy and trying to transport hundreds or thousands of gallons of water into space is a daunting task because now you have to add extra fuel, you have to change trajectories, you have to change you know the, the thrust that you're using. Um, it's a very challenging task. But if you already have water on the moon, 
Well, you can just tap into that reservoir, purify it, and now you've got the source of drinking water available, you know, that you don't have to transport. And then you can then go from the, from the moon to Mars. I mean, again, it's cosmically speaking, you know, from Earth to Mars or from the moon to Mars, it's really only a difference of about 230,000 miles. That's not much. That'd be like, at, you know, like, well, I have to drive to California, but first I have to stop and get gas, and that's going to take five extra minutes. So that's the equivalent of, you know, going from the Earth to the moon or from the moon. But if we can establish a base on the moon and then we can go, you know, establish a supply line, it'll be a lot easier because the moon has a lot less gravity, would take a lot less fuel to get there. You know, so there's a lot of advantages. So, you know, hope the scientists find water on the moon if you want to colonize another planet, which I do. I would love to go to the moon. I'd love to go to to Mars. I'd love to see another planet. Bye. That would be amazing. Bye. She won't come <laughs> with me, so I'll have to date moon ladies and, Bye. and Martian Martian women. She's got Tom Hiddleston on the back burner. You know, I, I heard Mars needs women. Angry red women. Bye. So that's my uh, my science fact for the day. So, Ashes, what do you have for... Your thing. Let's uh, let's hear some music and then we'll find out. Welcome to the Vineyard of Nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I did a thing. What'd you do? I made something. Is this what we had on Sunday? Yes, and it was delicious. I made wine slushies, and it was really freaking good. It was awesome. So, um, grab a pen and a paper, and if you don't want to, you don't have to, because I'm going to post this on the Facebook page anyways, and also on my own personal Facebook page. Uh, wine slushies. So what I did was I took about two cups of Lambrusso. Lambrusso is kind of like a, it's like a red Moscato, uh, a red blend sparkling wine. Not as sweet as a red Moscato, but um, it worked for me. And you could pretty much, I, I, I would recommend using a sparkling wine just because a sparkling wine kind of has like a little bit of bite to it so when you do freeze it and mix it up it's not going to have the carbonation anymore but it is going to kind of have like that I guess kind of like a bite to it that that's kind of pleasurable on the palate when eating drinking wine slushies um so two cups of a sparkling wine poured generously into an ice cube tray. Now, you probably won't use all two cups of that wine. That's okay. Feel free to drink the rest. Uh, But yeah, generously pour into just a normal sized ice cube tray. Freeze for at least four hours. You're going to want the the ice cubes themselves to be pretty firm. It's okay if they're still a little squishy uh, because you're going to blend them up anyways. But you you want them to to be pretty firm. You don't want to be able to like stick your finger in them and have them kind of crumble underneath your, your, your finger and still have them be kind of wet and mushy and stuff. Um, 
So after the four hours or overnight, however long you let it go for, but like I said, at least four hours, you're going to combine eight ounces of frozen fruit. So I chose a red wine, so I decided to do a mixed berry mix of a frozen fruit so frozen strawberries blueberries blackberries and raspberries if you choose a white wine like a moscato i recommend citrus fruits but anything red berries go very well with it so what you're going to do is you're going to blend eight ounces of frozen fruit with your ice cube wine ice cubes in a blender on pulse and as you're pulsing it uh, in between pulsing it, what you're going to do is you're going, going to add roughly a half cup of just plain wine, like the wine that you used. You're going to kind of want to add a little bit of just regular chilled wine to it. Now, however, if you get clever and you want it a little boozier, you can add hard liquor to it. I told Agent Nicole, wow, this would taste really, really, really fucking fantastic with like a raspberry liqueur or maybe some brandy or something. So get creative. If you're doing like a white wine, maybe do a rum with it, a flavored rum, like a pineapple rum or or what have you. But um, yeah, so so feel free to to get creative and. Add a little, add a little kick to your slush, uh, and then just pulse it until you get like a nice, just kind of creamy esque, uh, slushy <laughs> mix. Uh, divvy it up into a couple of glasses, or if you want to drink the whole damn thing yourself, go right ahead. <laughs> We're not here to judge, and uh, just top it off with a little bit more of the of the uh, either the wine that you use for the ice cubes or hard liquor and uh, enjoy serve with a straw or spoon drink responsibly like I said I'm going to be putting this recipe up on the Facebook page uh, in the Throwdown Thursday group I'll also be putting it up on my own personal Facebook page so yeah wine slushes enjoy kids I wonder how it would taste if it was like fresh uh, vegetables fresh fruit like, I wonder if it would, like, make a difference. Well, see, if you use fresh fruit, um, it'll probably... Mush up. Yeah, not only would it mush up, but it would get juicy, and mm-hmm. it would kind of turn your wine slush into, like, a wine mess. Mm-hmm. So using... It's kind of like with, with smoothies. A lot of times, you know, you use frozen yeah. uh, fruit for smoothies. Yeah. It's the same thing. You want it to kind of have, like, that frozen consistency. So gotcha. I would recommend using... I mean, you could probably alternate. Maybe do, yeah. like, four ounces of fresh, fresh fruit yeah. or even, you know, garnish it with fresh fruit yeah. or something. It was delicious. Um, it was really, really... It's Cersei approved. Right? Uh, a Lannister approved wine slush. So uh Yeah, we did we did drink it while watching Game of Thrones. Alright. Play my music, please. Oh, look how bossy and demanding she I gets. said please. So messed up. Over there texting. Bond. James Bond. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's a book, a reading rainbow. 
So if you are like me and grew up in like the early 90s, late 90s, reading Rainbow is a huge thing and you love LeVar Burton. Well, LeVar Burton has a new podcast called LeVar Burton Reads. It's basically reading Rainbow for adults. So about a half hour to an hour, he reads a fictional story, a short story. Could be, um, he does a lot of like sci-fi, but horror drama and he just reads to you in his lovely soothing voice and it's wonderful it just takes me back to being a kid and just listening to him you know helping me how to read and LeVar Burton Reads just came out a couple months ago a few episodes his latest episode um, he reads called Chivalry by Neil Gaiman and it's really good and if you just want something to relax you after a long day just listen to Lover Burton. He's wonderful. And if you are someone who's not into audible books, this is probably a great way to really get into that kind of um, feel. I know for me, I do like audible books, but sometimes it gets a little bit too boring after a while. With Lover Burton Reads, he kind of adds a little bit of sound effects, kind of draws you in. And they're short stories. If you get a good half hour to an hour and want to listen to something good, he will give you some of his personal best. So it's on iTunes, um, Stitcher, Google Play, and it's free. So I like free. Yeah, free. Free is my second favorite four-letter word. Yep. So, and it's good. It's really fun. It's, for me, it's like, I was like, oh, I love Lover and, and I'm like such a Trekkie. And so it's just really nice. And, you know, he basically will like introduce the book that he's talking about and like why he picks it and then he does like you know take a deep breath in close your eyes and then he goes right into the storytelling as if you know you're right there and you're imagining the entire thing it's really good I recommend it nice so we're gonna go ahead and wrap up but before we do we do have uh, a, a, a an episode that we will be doing next week uh, in honor of his birthday, we will be covering uh, another horror icon, um, maybe one of the most well-known uh, and, and influential, uh, not just horror, but thrillers, suspense uh, directors. Yeah. Uh, Agent Nicole is uh, actually taking a class on this gentleman uh agent Nicole, you want to tell the folks who we're going to be covering next week so we're going to talk about alfred hitchcock and there's been two films that kind of portray hitchcock in two different lights um and it'd be nice to get everyone's opinions about alfred hitchcock and his work and these portrayals from what we know to what the films tell us about him so it'd be nice yeah i mean and you know give us you know your feedback about you know if any any Hitchcock films have like really influenced you or frightened you? You know, were you scared to take a shower after watching Psycho? Did you not want to feed the the, the birds like the kids in? Uh, I almost said Harry Potter, Mary Poppins. <laughs> uh, you know, did you uh, stop taking trains? Like, what you know? Did you spy on your neighbors after breaking your leg? Are you afraid of planes in a cornfield? Like, what 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 is it? Uh, so let us know, and uh, 
I think that's about it for this episode. We went long last time, so I think we're going to end this now. So, as usual, we will see you next Thursday. Thursday.